Beloved, and if you have a copy of the Scriptures before you, if you do not have one on your person, there is one in the pew beside you. If you please would turn to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to take a little hiatus from the book of Colossians. We will resume, Lord willing, next time we are together. I had anticipated preaching this sermon on Daniel 3 at the retreat, but as you see, we are not retreating. Uh, We are here. We never retreat. I don't know that we actually use that word, but we do sometimes in the church. But we're going to retreat to Daniel chapter 3, as it were, this morning. Daniel chapter 3, courage for fiery trials. Courage for fiery trials. I do believe Mr. Yancey and Mr. Sloan are away preaching today in the prison. Am I correct? I forgot to pray for them. So let's pray for them now, and let's pray for God's Word to be opened before us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for Mr. Yancey. We thank you for Mr. Sloan, two faithful servants. We do pray and ask that you would empower them to preach Christ and Him crucified and that you would make it effectual in the lives of those men that they minister to today, that you would raise the dead, spiritually speaking, in that place, and bring many to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we would pray you do the same here today. We pray that you would equip the saints for every good work, that we might be strengthened to stand fast in this evil day in which we find ourselves as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and before the world, testifying that the Lord, He is God. We pray now and ask that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, our rock and redeemer. We pray in your name. Amen. When it's all on the line, who will you worship? When the decision before you is to obey God or not, what will you do. A young Romanian pastor named Joseph Son, I think that's how you pronounce his name, it's T-S-O-N, faced that question in 1972 when he was arrested by the communist secret police for publishing a sermon calling the church to resist the government's demand to control the ministry of the church there in Romania. Shortly after publishing the sermon, a government official showed up at his door and told him he must retract his sermon. He must retract his statement. Pastor Zahn replied, no, sir, I cannot do that. Surprised, the officer said, aren't you aware I can use force against you? Pastor Zahn replied, Sir, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. My sermons are spread all over the country on tapes. When you kill me, I only sprinkle them with my blood. They will speak ten times louder after that because everyone will say, That preacher meant it because he sealed it with his blood. Sir, go on and kill me. When you kill me, I win the supreme victory. When you kill me, you send me home to glory. Sir, you cannot threaten me with glory. That's beautiful, isn't it? 
Pastor Zahn was eventually exiled, and he began the Romanian Missionary Society, and I found out this week, as I did a little more investigative journaling, that he is 82 years old and still remains, and hasn't gone home quite yet. But the courage that we see in Pastor Zahn is reminiscent of the three men. Now, these are three young men. I want the kids to pay close attention this morning. This is a story we know very well. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were probably in the late teens to early 20s. Let's say 19. This story is given to strengthen and encourage believers to stand fast in the fiery trial. A renewed call to courage to stand for Christ and the truth in our godless, post-everything age. To be a people, church, who do not and will not live by lies. That's why God has given us this text. It's rightly said that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And upon it, all other virtues depend. It's the gatekeeper. Like I said of the Second Amendment, is the gatekeeper of the others. Right? So courage is the virtue that keeps the other virtues when they're tested. Well, today what I want to do is read through the passage, make some observations along the way, and then conclude with four applications. I didn't know how to approach it, but that's how we're going to do it today. So have your Bibles open, with them open even now. Let us begin in God's Word, Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. By way of context, one more thing I forgot. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed a dream of a statue. The statue represents the various kingdoms that will soon be eventually overthrown by the kingdom of God that would come. The prophet Daniel said that the statue's head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar was not a man given to humility. He was full of hubris. He was an egomaniac. In chapter 3, he erects a statue, not only with a head of gold, but entirely made of gold, to be loved and to be bowed down to and to be worshipped. So let's look now, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image, or a statue, whose height was 60 cubits, which is 90 feet, so 10 stories in height. And its breadth, nine feet. So it's 90 feet by nine feet. Must have had a a huge platform. And even this week I read that archaeologists have found a mound on the plain of Dura. They can't explain it. Well, maybe they need to go back to Deuteronomy, I mean uh, Daniel chapter 3. He... Nebuchadnezzar set it up on the plain of Dura. That's the plain of Shinar, which was where Babel was conducted there in Genesis 11. 
Someone's trying to make a name for himself, sounds like. In the province of Babylon, then the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Who sets it up? Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to see that over and over, up to nine times. The Holy Spirit wants us to know this is what Nebuchadnezzar has done. And they, that is the whole of Babylon, stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Right? He's seeking to unify the people through idolatrous worship. They'll coalesce, as it were, around this image. Verse 5, That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, that's one of those little metal things that you would see in elementary school. Remember they used to... Put the thing on it. Kathy could tell us more about that. Harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. He has the whole orchestra there. When you hear it, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, this fiery furnace, you know, think with me of a train tunnel. Probably maybe 100 feet, closed off at one end. At the other end, it's open. This is where they would make bricks. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped. Total compliance So it seemed. The golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, these are Babylonian officials, came forward, perhaps motivated by jealousy, and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Nothing like a little flattery. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They're rebellious. They're, they're flagrant in their disobedience. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, here's a man who's not told no very often. In furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. He's giving them another chance. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You see, the decision was already made long before the trial. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, right, respectful, with gentleness and respect, give an answer, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Proverbs sixteen fourteen. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. And the expression on Nebuchadnezzar's face was changed, meaning it was contorted. You could see the rage. against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At one time, he looked favorably upon these men. No more. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Make it as hot as you can make it. That's what he's saying. Up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men, that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, his anger was raging. And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And isn't that ironic? Those who obeyed Nebuchadnezzar died. And those who defied Nebuchadnezzar lived. Verse 23. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered, And said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he sent, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command, right? Biblical civil disobedience. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Not only were they delivered, they were given a raise because they were faithful obedience. Well, today, we might not be threatened with fire and martyrdom yet. And that yet is with a capital Y. But the pressure to conform and bow down to the cultural idols all around us today is no less real. We are told you are free to believe and say anything you want. Just make sure you keep it behind those doors at 3000 Grove Avenue, lest you be canceled or squashed or beaten down. When I first heard this story as a young Christian, even before I was converted, I can remember going to church, hearing this story. I would think to myself, how would I respond if I were given such a choice? How about you? Deny Christ or die? It's easy here in this perfect climate that we sit in this morning. Comfortable pews. Well, maybe that's an overstatement. But Deny Christ or die? Saints, it's important to remember this, though, as I think about that reality and just how daunting that could be, and I don't want to speak with... Uh, bravado, and I don't want to give the Lord nothing, nothing that would cost me nothing. It's important to remember this, that God has not promised to give us grace to face all the scary situations my fearful heart can imagine. But He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us and to give us grace in the various providences He calls us to walk through. You see, left to ourselves, our heart can get very scary, go to very scary places. But he hasn't promised to meet us there, but he has promised to sustain us in every providence he brings our way. Well, there are four things I want us to notice this morning as we finish out looking at this text. It's so 
beloved and well-known. First, I want you to notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an absolute commitment to God. They had an absolute commitment to God. Notice their decision. I mentioned it when I was reading it. Their decision to do what they did was made in advance of the situation before them. Verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 18. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, they didn't need a moment to discuss it. They needed a time out. They didn't need to have a little powwow. Guys, what are we going to do here? Right? We can do it. You know, externally, let's just make an excuse, right? We, no one will know. We're far from home. Jerusalem's thousands of miles away. We can bow down physically, but in our hearts we don't have to bow, right? Everyone else is bowing, and it's estimated there are over 300,000 people now in Babylon at this time. They're on the plains. The music's blaring. The people are bowing. It's a very religious event that's happening And here are three young men, again, 19 to 20 years of age, standing out amongst so many that are bowing. You see, they knew God's law. They knew the second commandment, you shall not make a graven image for yourself. You shall not bow down before it. And they weren't going to violate God's law. They were absolutely committed to obeying God's law. You see, Christian, if you want to grow in your faith, then commit yourself to obeying God's word. Commit yourself, young person, to obeying God's word. Believing the promises, heeding the warnings, obeying the commands, and trembling at the judgments of the living God. That's what faith does. It does all of those things. It doesn't just rest. Yes, it does that. It rests principally in Jesus Christ, the Lord, our righteousness. But it also trembles at the warnings and it heeds the commands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego displayed unyielding submission to the word of God. What about us? Have you made this commitment to obey the word of God? Do we have a commitment to God and his word that he will see us through the fire? You see... Like fire proves the gold, affliction will prove our faith, right? It will come forth more precious than gold once it's been tested with fire. You want to know how deep your faith is? Let it be tested with the fire. You'll find out whether you have saving faith or a spurious faith. There are all kinds of faith in the Word of God. You doubt that? Go read the Gospel of John. Everyone around is believing, but when push comes to shove, everyone abandons him at the end. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that the Lord is God, and he was their God, and they were absolutely committed to obeying God's word. Let me just share this, too, because I think it's important. If you want to be a leader, I'm not a great leader. I want to be. I aspire to be. But the thing you have to get over if you're going to lead, if you're going to stand when everyone else, or, or not stand when everyone else is, and bow when everyone else is bowing, right? If you're going to be a leader, you know what you need to be prepared to do? You need to be prepared 
to stand alone. If you're going to be a leader, young person, leading is lonely. It's extremely lonely. You will have to make decisions that will be misunderstood. Parents know this, right? We don't want to hurt our children's feelings. Who, you know, in some ways you go, on a clear moment, you go, who cares about their feelings? <laughs> right? You care about them, of course. But you have to do what's right. You have to do what's right. These three young men out of 300,000 would not bow. Athanasius, a 4th century defender of biblical orthodoxy, was told by many, the bishops are against you, Athanasius. The church is against you, Athanasius. The world is against you, Athanasius. Then I am against the whole world, saith Athanasius. You see, Athanasius, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had an absolute commitment to the Word of God. Well, secondly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an absolute confidence in God. They had an absolute commitment, and they had an absolute confidence in God. They firmly believed that God was able to deliver them. They had complete confidence that God was in control of the situation, and they trusted Him. They knew what God had done in the past. They had read the book of Exodus. They had seen his faithfulness. They had tasted of the Lord. They knew God was faithful. And because God had been faithful in the past, surely he would be faithful in this hour of testing when you go through the fire. They trusted him for the future. Notice what they say there in verse 17. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You see, they didn't occupy themselves and get all worked up concerning the secret, decretive will of God. You see, that wasn't available to them, right? The secret things belong to the Lord, and only He knows them. But those things that He's revealed belong to us and to our children. That's what they were occupied with. They trusted God. Our God may deliver us or He may not. We're not sure what he'll do in his wisdom, in his sovereign wisdom, they said to themselves. But we know what we're not going to do. I don't know what God's will is in this situation. I don't know the secret will of God, but I have the clear written word of God that thou shalt not make any graven image nor bow down before it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure God's going to deliver me from the fire or from the flood or from the affliction or the cancer, or the trial, or whatever it is that he brings our way. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey his word. Because I've had a commitment to the word of God. I have a confidence in this God and his word. You see, their obedience was not contingent upon what was safe and easy. They had an absolute commitment, and they had an absolute confidence. Thirdly, they had an absolute courage. Commitment, a confidence, and courage in their God. Notice the if in verse 18. Right? But if our God, who is able in his sovereign wisdom, does not rescue us, we will still not bow down to your image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were under no delusion, they knew the stakes. They knew the kind of man that Nebuchadnezzar was. 
He was cruel. He was tyrant. He ruled through fear and intimidation. They understood it. The fact that Nebuchadnezzar actually brought the three before him to be questioned is a miracle in itself. Why not just dismiss them right away? But that's not what he does. By standing firm in their God, Shadrach and Meshach knew the consequences before them, and yet they stood. Martin Luther, before the German authorities, before the Diet of Worms, was called to recount and to abandon his commitment to the doctrines of grace, particularly the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, that is, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. He was called to recant. And Luther declared in that hour, standing there trembling, showing great deference and respect to those he stood before, he says this, He said, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant of anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. That's what he did. Beloved, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of the Lord lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Does that give me a get-out-of-suffering-free card this side of heaven? No, it does not. But ultimately, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Though he deliver me, or though he take me to heaven, even now in this hour, I will stand by him. I will believe in him. I will trust his word. You see, you're ultimately safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. You cannot threaten me with glory. Can you threaten me with glory? Absolute commitment. Absolute confidence. Absolute courage. And absolute consciousness of God. That's the last thing. Fourthly, suddenly after being thrown into the fiery furnace, we're told in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered, true, O king, they answered. But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, most commentators understand this fourth man in the fire to be the pre-incarnate Christ, which would be called a Christophany, right? This is a physical appearance before the physical incarnation in his first advent. And I do believe that's the case here. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, God himself met them in the fire and led them through it safe in his presence. Nebuchadnezzar calls out to them in verse 26, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. They came out for all to see, right? The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, those who witnessed their civil disobedience now witness the salvation of God who delivers them. 
Verse 27, they saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies. Not even the smell of smoke on these men. God had delivered them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, the angel of the Lord, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Does this mean Nebuchadnezzar became a believer? No, he was impressed, but he wasn't converted. Just like in chapter 2, he's impressed. There's an operation of the Spirit, believe it or not, that doesn't lead to regeneration. Yes, that's scary when you think about it. Hebrews 6.4, they, they taste of the kingdom, and yet it doesn't bring them all the way home. They're not regenerated. That's clearly what happens here. He's, he's impressed with their, their God, but he's not his God. You see, that's the problem. They yielded up their bodies and served and worshipped their God. You see, saints, this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah had foretold two centuries earlier in Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overcome you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The fires will not hurt you. You see, the promise is ultimately true for us, beloved, not because we earned it, Not because Shadrach, Meshach earned it and Abednego earned it. No, the promise is yes and amen for us because there was another fiery furnace that the Lord Jesus Christ would walk through. Unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he walked through it alone. There was no sustaining presence for the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. There was no angel who was going to come to his aid in that hour. No rescue, no deliverance. You see, on the cross, he walked through the fire of God's judgment alone, not for his sins, but for ours. You see, he walked through for our compromise with idolatry. When we're ashamed to speak the name. For our cowardice to stand for the truth. You see, Christian, for our sins he died. He underwent the fiery judgment for us. Isaiah 53, 3-5. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You see, beloved, it's in the shadow of the cross you're going to find the courage to stand fast, young person, in school. You stand alone. It's lonely leading. It's lonely being a Christian. Now, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, but he's going to call you to stand. In that hour, will you stand? Will you play the man, so to speak, that God has called you to be, or the woman, or the young person, the young man, young woman? Will you stand in this post-everything age? May God give us grace to do that. Now, let me just say this in closing to the unbeliever. God calls you to bow today. Have you ever bowed before Jesus Christ? 
as Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Him? Have you confessed your sins, acknowledging you've sinned against the Lord, calling upon Him for mercy? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? Today is the day of salvation. As Isaiah 55 says, Come, without money, without cost, buy and eat, your soul may live. Come to Jesus Christ as he comes to us in the gospel. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that they were mere men and that they did fail miserably many times, but there was one a better one, a better Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that one is Jesus Christ who underwent the fire of hell for us, who stood when everyone else failed to stand. Father, we would pray and ask now that the grace of that one who won the victory for us would enable us to stand firm in the grace in this dark age, in this post-everything world where institutions are being dissolved before our very eyes when the lines that have been drawn by the living God are being wiped away, so to speak, as we live contrary to nature in many ways. So, Father, we would pray and we would ask that you would enable us to stand fast and be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, full of joy, having set Jesus Christ apart in our hearts as Lord being ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us with all gentleness and respect. Lord, let the one who boasts, boast in you, boast that we know you. You are our boast, you are the Lord, our righteousness, and we pray in your holy name. Amen.